What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Take the baseline out. Uh-huh. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another Hardwood Knox podcast. I am Dan Favalli, coming at you as always with my super duper, incredibly esteemed, awesome times awesome, fantabulous, spectaculario, Andrew Wiggins Aburse, co host, Andy Bailey. Um, oh, man. We have a lot to get to today. We're going around the NBA. We'll apologize for not having a podcast up on Monday, but uh, we both were very busy on Sunday, and it just, we, we couldn't. Squeeze it in, and the luxury of being in charge of your own podcast is that you can change the schedule dates as you see fit, and we appreciate you guys rolling with the punches. As always, I want to remind, ask, beg, plead, and implore you to head over to iTunes and please rate, subscribe, and, and review us. We love when we see the rate. Hey guys, Clay Thompson here. I need to give a shout out to my mom. She said I should read the newspaper before games to take my mind off things. It's become a pregame ritual, but it also is how I stay informed. Keeping up on local news, sports, or just about anything, I read the paper. So should you. Whether it's digital or print, it doesn't matter. Go to clayoffer.com and subscribe today. Local news delivered your way, digital or print. Stay informed on news that matters to you. Go to clayoffer.com. Brought to you by the Mercury News, East Bay Times, and Marin Independent Journal. Things go up and they've kind of stalled out over the past week, which is very sad. Um, I've cried a little bit. I know I heard Andy sobbing before we just started recording right now. So if everyone could take the 10 to 15 seconds out of your day to just rate, review us on iTunes, we'd very much appreciate it. That's one of the best ways to help out the pod at this point. And start subscribing friends and family members too, just because you'll enrich their lives in ways they never could have fathomed. Finally, uh, just remember that as a listener of this podcast, you will get 15% off at the MBA Math shop. That's mbamath.com slash shop, promo code Benno, B-E-N-O, as in Benno Udry, who is who is our just ceremonial shout out at the, at the end of all this, at the end of pretty much every single pod, except when Andy's not here and I'm allowed to go rogue. We'll have to get a slow mo promo code in there at some point. But remember, we've got a lot of cool designs and t shirts up with there with more soon to come. So again, promo code Benno, B E N O. And with that, before we go around the horn, the question that everyone is dying to know the answer to, Andy. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Um, like you said, I don't. Maybe I am Andrew Wiggins averse. I feel like I'm having this philosophical debate within myself every time I <laughs> this existential crisis. Yeah, every time I check on the Timberwolves, it's like the first thing my eyes are drawn to is Andrew Wiggins. Um, so yeah, it's <laughs> it's certainly an interesting conundrum I have. Well, that might be an okay place to start because we had the report <laughs> last week from Darren Wolfson that Andrew Wiggins is unhappy playing third wheel, essentially, to Carl Anthony Towns and Jimmy Butler. He has not been playing third wheel of late because Jimmy Butler has been injured dealing with the uh, t- 
from surgery on his right knee, the meniscus surgery. But he's expected, per report from uh, the Associated Press, or at least he said as much, that he is planning on returning before the end of the season, which just... I don't know. I, I just I, I'm no doctor, so I'm just going to hesitate to say it's too soon. But it just it feels too soon. He's missed, I believe, it's ten games now, and to return from surgery after ten games is just crazy. And I'm actually wrong. It's nine. That ju- I don't, it just seems incredible to me. And the first thing I don't know if you saw when Kevin Durant was diagnosed with like the partial like the partial rib fracture. Is is that what it was called? My first. It was like a, uh, oh man, what was it? It was I've never heard of it before. Incomplete cartilage fracture or something like that. My first thought was like <laughs> if it's my first thought was or um, like imaginary scenario in my head was Tom Thibodeau's voice saying, "Well, if it's an incomplete fracture, that just means you're not working hard enough to have completely <laughs> fractured it." Like my first ju- thought was the Warriors are now making up medical diagnoses to rest their players. <laughs> That's fair too. <laughs> um, but so Jimmy Butler's planning on returning before the end of the season. Five thirty-eight still gives the Timberwolves a eighty-nine percent, or excuse me, a ninety-three percent chance of making the playoffs. That projection has Jimmy Butler's performance caked into it, and they might not have to worry about being without him for much longer. I'm still skeptical that they'll make the postseason. They're, the biggest thing they have going for them is that, to me, is that the, the Nuggets are imploding. So they're, I guess there's a multi-layer question I'm going to throw at you here. Is one, do you think Andrew Wiggins is? I already know what you're going to say is the answer. Complaints were justified, and this comes with the, the caveat that his usage rate was higher than Carl Anthony Towns's all season. And two, do you still think the Timberwolves are going to scrape into the playoffs? Um, one, no, I don't think those complaints were justified um as of today Wiggins still leads the team in field goal attempts per game um he's second in usage behind Jimmy Butler he's actually third behind uh Jimmy Butler and Jamal Crawford but he's probably not on the floor with Jamal Crawford too often um and if we want to count Derrick Rose he's fourth because Derrick Rose which is hilarious has a 26 percent usage with uh Minnesota but anyway there's a lot of their their net minus with him on the floor is greater than the time he's actually spent on the floor. I'm oh not talking God. net rating. I'm talking just straight plus minus. That's impressive. That's incredible. That's impressively yeah. awful. Excuse me. <laughs> um, and the other thing I, I ran the other day was like where Wiggins ranks in a in a bunch of catch all stuff among Timberwolves. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think they have they have nine players who've played at least a thousand minutes. He's ninth in pretty much everything except for box plus minus, I think. I think he was eighth in box plus minus. Um, he still has not really figured out how to be a positive contributor. And this is, I think, year four for him. And I get the frustration. He was a number one pick. Um, he was surrounded with so much hype. That that draft class, I remember it was like, this is going to be LeBron James and Carmelo Anthony all over again with him and Jabari Parker and it just simply hasn't panned out to be that so he's he's got that hype following him plus he signs a max contract and now all of a sudden there's a wing there who's better uh objectively a better player and who's you know clearly the alpha on the team so from like a psychological standpoint it certainly makes sense that he's frustrated there's there's just not really any objective data to suggest that he should be the number one guy 
There is not, and things that ha- this is one season, but things that have really kind of stood out to me. His efficiency has wavered compared to last year when theoretically his role should have gotten easier because you have more talent around you with Jimmy Butler, Jeff Teague, Carl Anthony Towns is better than ever offensively, but he is shooting 31.4% on wide open three-pointers. Wide open. That's with a defender six or more feet away from him, and they don't count for an insubstantial portion of his shots. They account for 14.5% of his total shots. And the other thing, when you look at what he does when he is kind of the de facto number one option in isolation, it's not good. There have been about 90 players who have burned through 50 50 or more isolation possessions this season. Andrew Wiggins is has the ninth worst points per possession of that group. So we're looking at 80th essentially 80th round 80 81 i'm eyeballing it right now he has he's averaging 0.69 points per isolation possession that for reference is fewer than tj warren of the phoenix suns his effective field goal percentage in these situations is 33.8 which is just i mean it's not good so i i just struggle to see the the justification i get it he's a, a max player now too you tack that on to the Granted, his extension hasn't kicked in yet, but you tack on the number one pick status uh, to that max extension that he got from the Timberwolves or essentially owner Glenn Taylor, whose biggest negotiation tactic was basically making him promise that he would get better at basketball. I I remember finding that hysterical over the summer. You're not that guy. You haven't proven that you can even be an effective complementary weapon at this point on the offensive end. And I get that there it takes time to adjust to the role, but how about you master being the number three or really the number two before you get – and that's assuming he really is like super frustrated. Again, I get it from like a psychological standpoint, but mm-hmm. you just – you haven't done anything – to deserve it. And I'm wondering to you, do you, once his, he signed a fi- about a five year, $154 million extension, his salary is going to jump to $25.3 million roughly next year. Is he a movable? If, you know, what if the Timberwolves miss the playoffs? It's possible. They are in the eighth spot in the West. Uh, and we'll talk about this soon. Granted, the Clippers and the Nuggets have started basically losing like crazy. They are two wins ahead of the 10th place Nuggets, who have more wins than the Clippers, but they have a two-game hold on 8th place in the West. But let's say they miss the playoffs, or maybe they get bounced in, in the first round and it's just not even competitive against the Rockets, or maybe they climb their way up and face the Blazers or something. Is Andrew Wiggins a movable at this point? There are teams I'd be interested to see him on, but you look at that salary and his track record, and I wonder if he could theoretically, is his upside still enough to to carry a trade value? Yeah, I think I think before he signed the max deal, people would have certainly been willing to take a shot and just sort of talk themselves into there's still a lot of potential there. He's still in his early 20s. Maybe we can figure it out in a way that Minnesota didn't. But like you said, with that, with that max money attached, um, gosh, if I was in a front office, I would be very, very scared <laughs> to take that on because it, it's it's now four years worth of a sample. And if he can't, if he continues to be this player, um, you are eating up so much of your salary cap with someone who just doesn't 
help you win. I while we were talking about this, I looked up his numbers while uh, while Jimmy Butler is off the floor, and individually. Um, well, okay, I'm actually going to do when when Jimmy Butler and Carl Towns are both off the floor, which is almost 400 minutes. And individually, they they look okay. He's averaging 22 points, shooting 47% from the field, 37% from three, um, five rebounds to assists. It, it's it's pretty good. The Wolves are being outscored by almost 15 points per 48 minutes in those in those minutes when he's on their, the floor by himself. Um, now, obviously, that has a ton to do with the bench, uh, but there's a similar flip if it's just Wiggins on the floor without Butler and if he's on the floor with, with Towns. Um, I just, I'm not sure <laughs> the high-volume, long two-point shooter just has much of a home in the NBA anymore. And also the thing with Wiggins, he's been playing pretty well since Jimmy Butler went down. He's shooting 47.4% yeah, he overall, 40% from three, averaging over 20 points per game. He still just does not rebound, which is amazing to me. 2.4 assists per game, that's not bad. About 2.4 assists per 36 minutes as well. The thing is, is the Timberwolves are not, it's not like they've been great overall during this stretch. You have a win over the Warriors who didn't have Steph. You have a win over the Wizards, who didn't have John Wall, and who I believe were playing on the second night of a back-to-back maybe, but even if they weren't, they they didn't have John Wall. You got creamed by the Spurs. You were semi-competitive against the Rockets. You lost to the Boston Celtics. You lost to the Utah Jazz. You lost to the Portland Trailblazers. You beat the Kings, and you, and you beat the Bulls. I get that that's not the easiest stretch to go through, and we've actually talked about how hellacious of a span that was going to be for the Timberwolves without Jimmy Butler. But if if he's essentially their number one or number two option now, even when he's playing well, they're not standing the test against these really good teams that are at full strength. And that that's just, again, I'm taking, it's just an isolated sample of the season, but it it, it all comes together and he's yet to, to do enough, I, I think, to really be in a position where he can gripe about the situation that he finds himself in. If it's a matter of Tom Thibodeau not using him correctly, they want to see him or he wants himself to get more cuts or even get more spot up touches or be, I I don't, I don't necessarily know. There, there are so many different ways that this could be spun, but I'm just not, it's amazing to me that someone who remains this unproven, this much of a project would be, displeased with with his role right now I, I get it from I get it psychologically but to have voiced it to some teammates if if that in fact happened is just crazy to me and I can't think of a single team that would trade for him like maybe the Detroit Pistons could talk themselves into it because they're <laughs> they're they're in the business of taking on pretty bad max deals these days it's funny that you mentioned cuts because that I don't know how you build an entire offensive game around being a cutter especially if you're a wing um fast gave bradley before this season. <laughs> but that's that's like the one area where he's good he's in the 92nd percentile um in points per cut but i think he is 50th in total he's he's at least according to synergy he's finished 80 possessions as a cutter um and that seems like the kind of thing that you would do is like a third or fourth option you're cutting off Jimmy Butler's 
drives or Carl Anthony Towns catches in the high post. And I think maybe if somebody could talk him into, look, you're going to be a much more um, efficient winning player if you embrace these things that you're you're good at. Um, you know, you're you're a freakish athlete. <laughs> Cut to the rim, we'll find you. We'll get you some easy buckets. That, but I, like I said, I don't know. I don't know what the clear path would be to get him like significantly more of those possessions. And it probably he's fiftieth, I think, in total cuts right now. He yeah, has, that's what I said. Uh, oh, sorry, I didn't hear you. No, that's on, good. On the, and so, like, you can't have he shouldn't have fewer cuts than Omri Caspi with Golden State, and that's that's yeah. probably that's, that's a ta- total cuts too. That's not like per game. Right. So, and Omri Caspi has appeared in sixteen fewer games than Andrew yeah. Wiggins, and. That's where it becomes a systemic failure on some level. Like Tom Thibodeau should be milking these more, and it's probably hard to implement cuts when you don't shoot a ton of three-pointers to begin with, so you're not really opening a lot of space toward the basket. That's where the give-and-take comes in. It's prob- There are times where Andrew Wiggins also standing around. He could stand to move off the ball more, but you're absolutely right. That's the role that he should be trying to go after. And I mean, it's even something that Kevin Durant kind of embraced with Golden State too. I I get it's different situations, but you even look at LeBron James, like he does some cutting for the Cleveland Cavaliers as well. I just, for cuts to account for 6% of Andrew Wiggins' finished offensive possessions, that's just too low given the the role that he's been pigeonholed into. And maybe if he was getting more of those opportunities, this wouldn't be like an instance where he was upset or anything like that. The Wolves just have some stuff to, to figure out basically and it'll be really interesting to see what what happens over the offseason if for some reason they they miss the playoffs but kind of speaking of that and I know you have thoughts on this what is going on in Denver <laughs> um man I don't know <laughs> this this team has been so frustrating I think I went on a Denver rant uh, an episode or two back and it's obviously not gotten any better they they lost to the grizzlies who i think were on a 19 game uh, losing streak at the time the miami loss isn't as bad i mean miami's a decent team and they were at home but those two in in conjunction with each other really really hurts them and we we looked at the 538 playoff odds before we started recording and Denver now has a 12% chance of making the playoffs. And I think I answered somebody's question on Twitter like two days ago saying that I still think Denver's getting in. So that's that's looking worse and worse by the day. Um, to me, still, the biggest problem is just there's so many weird um, lineup combinations going on. I, I, I still feel like there's just a lot of stuff happening that's – and I've, I think I've probably uttered this exact sentence on the podcast is – there is there is a way to get a 2012 and like seven guy in Nikola Jokic, um, and then there are things that we've seen over the last two years that sort of suppress that, and they keep going back to the things that suppress that, like playing him with another big guy, uh, or like a traditional big guy, or putting somebody in the lineup who stops the ball, um, like Paul Millsap has kind of been since he came back, and they just keep going to this stuff over and over. Um, one thing is for sure, though, there, there is a contingent of people out there who want to put this on Jokic, and to me, that's just crazy. That's absurd. Um, he's played in 29 losses this year, and he's been a plus in plus-minus in 11 of those games. Just for comparison's sake, 
LeBron James has also played in 29 losses, and he's been a plus in two of those games. So uh, to, to say that it's like that this is a Nikola Jokic problem and you can't build a winning team around Nikola Jokic is just crazy to me. Um, for, for two or three years now, Denver has been significantly better when he's on the floor. I think you just need to play him with the right guys. The They don't have the personnel to build strong defensive lineups at this point either. If you look at Paul Millsap was supposed to neutralize a lot of it, and at the beginning of the year before his wrist injury, they were pretty good around average defensively with him on the floor. Since he's returned, he has the second-best defensive rating on the team. The issue is that defensive rating is 109.4. Mm. And that they just don't have these stops. One of those... One of the problems there is I think he's playing a lot more with Will Barton than he did before. But yeah, um, and but even so, you look at just their collection of wings; they don't have the lockdown stopper. Would is Gary Harris has to be their best defensive wing by far? Yeah, right. And I, I should and also say it hurts that he's been out. Right. Yeah. Uh, it would also hurts, and this is kind of a a feather in the cap of the Timberwolves now that they've kind of made it out, Minnesota, of that. A really tough stretch. They have the easiest remaining schedule remaining in the Western Conference, according to PlayoffStatus.com. The Nuggets have the second hardest schedule in the West and the league overall remaining. Jeez. And, There's that. That's why there's 12%. <laughs> yeah, and they just don't... They haven't been a team that's shown they can win on the road this season. You look at their record against good opponents, and it's fairly damning they're 16 and 23 against teams that are 500 or better the clippers by the way are 12 and 26 against teams that are 500 and better which is that's really bad where are the clippers on that remaining schedule they're they have the fourth hardest remaining schedule in the west sixth overall in the league Hmm. see they're still they're ninth right now right yeah they're they're still a, a pretty good candidate to miss too i think they were the easiest ones to remove for me, and, and they still are. The thing with the Nuggets is that their offense can be just, even when they're struggling, their offense is just potent, that they should be able to run off certain teams fr- from the floor. And yeah. I, I just don't, I, I don't, their their offseason is going to be interesting too if they miss the playoffs. Does Mike Malone return next season? I don't, I honestly don't think that he's, fully at fault for what's happened because he is responsible to an extent for getting a lot out of guys like Jamal Murray this season or Nikola Jokic in the first place or Gary Harris's rise was kind of fueled under him at the same time he's just so it seems he's really inconsistent in his messaging almost where like Nikola Jokic is bent bench during random fourth quarters because because he's your best player and that's supposed to like there's stuff that's like the thing that. is that's like a great word for him because a lot of the times he's been pressed on stuff, he has such weird answers. <laughs> um, like that random fourth quarter that he sat, like you were talking about, there was there was just no logical explanation. And then within a week, he might say something like, Nikola Jokic is an MVP candidate. It's, it's just really, there's a lot of bizarre things with that team. And the team, they... Th- some interesting things can happen for them this summer when you look at their cap situation because of – even if we assume they're going to decline Nikola Jokic's team option and let him enter restricted free agency, which would definitely be the safest play. If you were looking to kind of preserve flexibility for 2019, you could let it ride out and, and allow him to hit unrestricted free agency. But that $1.6 million 
cap hold roughly, that can allow you to do some things because you theoretically have the sweeteners to get rid of Darrell Arthur after he opts into his contract. Kenneth Reed's deal will be expiring even though he's not playing. You have the sweeteners to be able to get rid of him. Wilson Chandler, I don't even know that you would need a sweetener to get rid of him, and, and maybe he he declines his $12.8 million player option. He's a really tough person to figure out. I, I don't have like an inkling on him. He's had a very interesting season, yeah. Up and down, it seems, and yeah. I... I lean towards him picking it up at this point. I don't know about you, but maybe you know what? Maybe not because if you look at the wings on the market this year, that might be a, he might be one of the few who can cash in. It's not going to be at least I don't think a twelve point eight million dollar annual salary. But could he get something like you know three and thirty three or something just because there aren't a lot of other options, or maybe even getting four years at the full mid level or something is worth it for him? But there are things they could do if so if. Theoretically, if Wilson Chandler declines his player option and you're able to use either your own first-round pick, Hernan Gomez, Beasley, even Trey Lyles if you're if you're willing to get rid of him, if you're able to use some combination of those sweeteners to get off Darrell Arthur and Kenneth Reed, the Nuggets can get to more than $20 million in cap space while holding Will Barton's placeholder. It's just a matter of would they be willing to reconcile possibly if not likely paying the luxury tax in that situation and you probably won the market there and might not allow it they're not one of these like home attendance kings and also if you miss the playoffs as they're projected to do right now it becomes really hard to invest in the roster to that extent and that almost makes it even more likely that Mike Malone wouldn't be back because then you're not going to have made substantial changes to the roster because your, your trade chips at this point you're not you shouldn't get rid of Gary Harris you definitely shouldn't get rid of Jamal Murray you're not going to get rid of Jokic I'm not sure that you can piece together then that value of a trade package for anything too substantive so that that all of that kind of leads to unless you're willing to really jump through those hoops to create cap space and become a free agency player which maybe they they are but if they're not then that kind of makes it seem even more likely that they would make the easier change which would be at the coaching level yeah i i've talked to a couple of people who cover the nuggets um and and the last time we had adam on he very quickly said if they miss the playoffs they'll probably fire malone um and adam's he he said i'm granted i'm not around the team as much as i've been in previous years but that's does sort of seem to be the rumblings um it, it's still a young team, but I think especially when they signed Paul Millsap, the expectation was was the playoffs with how close they came last year. And if they barely miss again, it's um, you know certainly some kind of change is going to have to be made somewhere. Right, and they they have not proven to be reliable in, in close games. We saw that against mm-hmm. the Heat on Monday night. I checked before the podcast. There, I think it's sixteen and nineteen in games that enter crunch time. And Paul Millsap's injury might factor into that, but to be a playoff team, you, you think you'd need to be at the bare minimum 500 in those situations, though preferably over 500 when, when you're talking about entering close games. And they just don't appear to be there yet. I don't think it all falls on Mike Malone, but you kind of said no. it before. In, inconsistency seems to be one of, one of his biggest flaws, at least publicly. As you said, the message he conveys, they, they always seem to change. Mm-hmm. One other note before we move on is the Jokic-Milsap pair season-long is still plus 8.4 per 100 possessions. Um, 
So <laughs> I don't know. It's it's a weird season for sure. I, I'm still not ready to give up on that combination, even though it hasn't like passed the eye test to the same degree since he came back. But um, you know, something something is amiss for sure. Well, they're not going to give up on it because they have yeah, a team option sure. on Millsap's third year, but next year he'll be there, and I don't mm-hmm. envision them trying to trade him. Their offseason will be super interesting, though. Do you think they're going to – who's going to get in? It seems to be between the two – which two teams are going to get in? Right now it seems like you kind of need to pick between – I don't know, the Spurs are in fifth. And maybe, maybe it's really just between the Clippers, Nuggets, and Timberwolves. Those are the teams that you have to worry about. Which one? Which one team is going to get in from those three? Oh, man. It seems stupid to ask that question because the Jazz and the Pelicans and the Spurs are all just right there. But the Jazz, just they've been playing too well not to get in. Yeah, I'd be surprised if they missed. And I'd prob- I'd be pretty surprised if the Spurs missed, too. They seem to have kind of Oh, that's a nice little walk back. After, <laughs> after their... Um, What's the word for it? They were certainly in some kind of a slide, and that's when I made that bold proclamation that both them and the Thunder would miss. That's can't wait to recycle that take once the playoff brackets are finalized. That's not happening. Um, the Might Thunder even hold out until the Western Conference Finals to recycle that when it looks like the Spurs are going to get there. <laughs> Jeez, it's tough. So, the, like you said, the Wolves have a ninety-three percent chance, according to five thirty-eight. I think that is wholly dependent on whether or not Jimmy Butler comes back. So if if they he win, misses right? like yeah if he misses all but the last couple games, I have a really hard time seeing the Timberwolves get in because how are they different from the team that was like nowhere near the playoffs last year if they don't have Jimmy Butler? Even look at especially if they're going to play Derrick Rose. <laughs> <laughs> Think about that though. Here's so if you look here are their next seven games, which takes us through Easter, April first. And if Jimmy Butler returns before then, I like if this guy misses fewer than 15 games after tearing his meniscus, like, holy crap. That's a different discussion, too, because I was going to talk about this when we talked about Joakim Noah later. But if he comes back to spoilers, Tom Thibodeau has ruined too many legs (laughs) in the NBA. That's all I will say on that. But, But continue with your schedule point. Their next seven versus the Los Angeles Clippers, which by the time this is published will have already taken place. That's not a game that they're short of winning. They are at the New York Knicks, at the Philadelphia 76ers, the second night of a back-to-back. Then they are versus the Memphis Grizzlies, versus the Atlanta Hawks, at the Dallas Mavericks, versus the Utah Jazz. I think three of those games are coin tosses for them at best with the Clippers, the Sixers, and the Jazz. I, Even the Mavericks are kind of frisky. The Mavericks are frisky, and I would say the same just about – I don't know that the Knicks are bad enough to put with the Memphis and Atlanta, who those teams are just so deliberately trying to tank. Yeah. And the Knicks are just – if you play Frank Nielakina, your defense improves a little bit. You could have Tim Hardaway Jr. go off for like 30 or something. But So I, I would say four of those games then. Let's throw the Mavericks into that. We'll give them the win against the Knicks. We'll give them Memphis and Atlanta. Both those games are at home. If you lose either one of them, that's that's like Yeah, that would be bad. But after that, I mean, even if you – so what if you get Jimmy Butler back? You have four days. You're, you play April 1st, and then you don't play again until April 5th, and your final four games are at the Denver Nuggets, 
who will presumably at least still be within striking distance or maybe fighting for their playoff lives, at the Los Angeles Lakers, who have no reason to tank and have been playing pretty good. Then you play the Grizzlies again at home, and then you close the season versus the Nuggets. That's, again, by record, your schedule is fairly easy, but if you don't get Jimmy Butler back until April or something and you don't win against, if you lose to the Sixers, the Clippers, and then you lose one of those games against the Mavericks or Knicks, they could be in some serious trouble. I'm still going to go with they miss, and... I've been, I, you know, I've been low on the Timberwolves from the jump, and maybe I'll be proven wrong, but I just can't. Depending on when Jimmy Butler comes back, I just have a tough time seeing it. Yeah, and you were actually low on them before Jimmy Butler got hurt too. So I was that, convinced that, they were going to get bounced in the first round when he was healthy. Totally makes sense. Um, Since you ruined it for everybody, should we move on yeah. to Joakim Noah? Sure. Um, there's, it's not really a report per se. Um, Jeff Hornacek recently told reporters, I'm not sure how the Joakim Noah contract situation is going to end. He thinks Scott Perry and Steve Mills will be talking with him entering the summer. Uh, Al uh, Ianzone at Newsday, was he wrote something that said the Knicks are likely to kind of, but it wasn't a report, to stretch Noah if they can't trade him. And then Ian Bagley over at ESPN tweeted that we shouldn't rule out Noah's return to the Knicks should they make a coaching change. A different guy in that seat might welcome him back. And we can't, we also, I can't, Jeff Hornacek is one of the coaches who are going to be on the hot seat. The Knicks' struggles are not on him completely. He's done, he has not done a great coaching job. But He's had some weird yeah. quotes but, and, and decisions I'm, this year too. But I'm go always ahead. of the mind, like, what are you hearing from the front office, though? Do they If they want to see Frank Nielakina more and he's not playing Frank Nielakina more, then yes, that's on him. But unless he's just ignoring a, a directive from the front office, it's it's a collective failure. Still, you have Steve Mills and even and – even, oh, excuse me, Scott Perry. And you have Steve even Steve Mills, who, yes, he was there when Hornacek was hired, but that was Phil Jackson's choice. Maybe they just want to put – their own face on the sidelines stretching Noah would be equally damning in my opinion to signing him in the first place because if you waive him before next season using the stretch provision you're going to be paying him roughly 7.6 million dollars per year for the next five seasons that's almost as much as the full mid-level exception next summer yeah that's crazy that's just not okay and if you're going to stretch him if, and I don't think you should, at this point, just just eat crow. Even if you can't move him as an expiring contract, just eat it. But if you're going to stretch him, don't do it before next season. Because even if you, there, first of all, there are too many hoops you have to drum through this summer to get cap space. If Ennis Cantor picks up his $18.6 million player option, which he most definitely should. If he doesn't, that would be shocking to yeah. me. If Ron Baker has the $4.5 million player option that he shouldn't even have, but he's definitely going to accept <laughs> So, and you don't have Kristaps Porzingis returning from his ACL injury probably until Christmas at the earliest, but it could end up being 2019. You're not going anywhere next year. Why waste those? You're you're essentially tacking on two extra years of Joakim Noah's salary. If you're going to stretch him, wait till he's expiring, and then you can spread it out over three years. Yes, you're still going to have to pay him more than six a year over those three years, but it's it's better than five. Yeah, I, having that much of a hit against your cap for each of the next five years would be really, really tough, especially since almost every team is, is up against the cap or the luxury tax. 
every year. I don't, I don't think you want to remove that much flexibility. I, I would rather wait it out probably <laughs> than stretch it for five years. My question for you, can, can he play anywhere? Like, can he be a rotation player? I, I have I, my guess would be no because he's just never been really an offensive weapon outside of his passing, and we don't. I, I find it tough to believe that he is ever going to be even close to an above average defender at the age of thirty three after barely playing these past two seasons. He was he was kind of switchable, I guess, in his heyday, but you know this isn't his salad day anymore. He's on the back end of his prime. At the same time, if you're not going to have Kristaps Porzingis back next year, you can get him minutes at the five without really screwing anybody over. I don't. It doesn't matter how much Ennis Cantor is playing or not. It's only when Kristaps Porzingis comes back that you probably need to get him more minutes at the five because will his mobility be compromised? Maybe people are mad. They want Luke Cornette to get more time. You don't have. To, you know what? You don't have to play him. But I just. I'm against really j- just stretching him. And if you're not going to tank next year, which we know the Knicks don't really know how to tank, then you can yeah. try and or maybe they they can accidentally tank because they give him minutes. But just I don't see what he could do. Maybe best case scenario he plays well enough for you to trade him when he's in an expiring contract. I, I honestly don't know. But I would no matter what happens, I would wait out the full ride of of the contract just for the next 2 years. You made your bed now just lay in it. So I found this really interesting. Um, I looked it up before we started recording, and maybe this is just a prime example of why you can't always trust catch-all numbers. But among players with at least 1,500 minutes over the last three seasons, Noah's 40th in box plus minus. He's ahead of guys like Steven Adams, Andre Drummond, Derek Favors, LaMarcus Aldridge, uh, Nikola Vucevic, Greg Monroe, Kevin Love. Um, That's just a few of the big men. That are behind him now. Like being being ahead of another player in box plus minus obviously doesn't necessarily mean you're a better player than that guy. That's certainly not the way to interpret that. Um, but like you said, he's 33, and in just in terms of raw statistical output, he could you you would think maybe he could still be a positive player. And when I was just sort of looking at that number and and the names that were around him on that list, I thought, man. <laughs> Did, it was his career just cut short by that time in Chicago. And the same thing can be asked about Luol Deng, Derek Rose, um, hopefully not Jimmy Butler. Um, it's just crazy what an imprint <laughs> Tom Thibodeau's coaching has seemed to have on the league. Like all of those guys were really good players in Chicago. My... And within four or five years, um, they're, they're just – like they don't even play. Like Joaquin Noah's <laughs> injury report uh, on Basketball Reference says Noah and the organization have come to an agreement that he will not be involved in team activities for the remainder of the season. And you might as well say the same thing about Luol Deng. Like he still sits on the bench, but there's he's never going to get into a game. And that's there's different reasons for that one too. Obviously, the Lakers are, um, you know, they're more fully invested in playing their young guys than the Knicks are. Obviously, mm-hmm. but it's it's just crazy. Uh, how drastically he seems to have altered some careers. Yeah, I don't. I be. Where does he rank in total minutes played on that list, though? Probably very low. Even I mean, even on ESPN's defensive real plus minus, 
he ranks more favorably than Andre Drummond, Miles Turner, Dwayne Dedman this season. He's thirty. He's thirty first overall among who ESPN classifies as centers. I just, I mean, he's played in seven games though, and I feel like that kind of just yeah. skews it. Where would he rank in last year's? Do you, do you can you pull that up quickly or? Um, I, I probably can. Um, I just, I don't know. I just have. <laughs> I just have a tough time. He ranks 36th last year among centers. He was in front of Kyle O'Quinn, Quint Capella. Uh, so you see, you see stuff like that, and you think maybe there is still some gas left in the tank. But I like my instinct is to go with your first answer. It's, it is kind of hard to see him playing. Right, and it's just—I mean, if that's where he was, then like I, that's you know top 36 among centers isn't really that impressive. To begin with, so well, he was thirty sixth among centers last year. Yeah, I wasn't oh, I talking about overall. No, okay, never mind. That's different. <laughs> so yeah, it's I just have a tough time. But that's where the catch all metrics. Some of them seem to, or I wouldn't say most of them seem to favor guys who, even if it's like a high volume stat, it'll favor guys who haven't played that many minutes. So it's just. I don't know. Maybe he does. And go ahead, try. I don't care. Just don't don't stretch him. That seems like a terrible idea to me, especially at this juncture. Yeah, I'm, I'm certainly in agreement with you there. Now, this is more of a fun one, but a fan asked Isaiah Thomas on Twitter. The fan's name is Luke at Luke Six Hill. Would you consider coming back to Boston this off season? And Isaiah Isaiah Thomas responded with a quote tweet that is still up two days later. Anything can happen. Your your thoughts. <laughs> uh, my initial reaction is that's one thing that probably won't happen. Uh, the only, I, I guess, the only way. It seemed like there was just such uh, bitter feelings between him and Danny Ainge after all that went down. He would just have to love Brad Stevens, which. <laughs> Maybe after he spent some time with a couple teams post Brad Stevens, he thinks, "Wow, it was really good there." Um, this this guy designed an entire offense around me, and he might they, he might be in for a little bit of a rude awakening if he went back because he's certainly not going to be more of a focal point than Kyrie Irving or Gordon Hayward next year. But you said this before we started recording, so I'll I'll let you sort of explain it. But maybe this is just. <laughs> um, trying to, to play the part of like a, a good free agent at this point. Like he's, he's sort of in desperation mode with how this season's played out. Yeah, because it hasn't gone according to plan. Um, and you don't want to just remove suitors from your list. And he's in a particularly tough spot because he, he said to USA Today's Sam Amick last week, I'm no sixth man. And yeah. the – the the realization he's going to have to come to is that hey maybe you are because I don't think the free agent market is going to dictate that he's more. If you look, yeah. and I'm going to just I'm going to blow through literally every single team's starting point guard right now, and I want you to tell me where Isaiah Thomas could start. Atlanta Hawks, Dennis Schroeder, Brooklyn Nets, Spencer Dinwiddie, Boston. They also have D'Angelo Russell, Boston Celtics, Kyrie Irving, Hornets, Kemba Walker, Bulls. Chris Dunn, Cleveland Cavaliers, George Hill, Dallas Mavericks, DSJ, Denver Nuggets, Jamal Murray, Detroit Pistons, Reggie Jackson, Golden State Warriors, Steph, Chris Paul in Houston, 
Darren Collison in Indiana. They also have Corey Joseph, who has a player option for next year. Los Angeles Clippers, Mios Teodosic. They also will have Patrick Beverly, provided they don't waive him next year. There's also Lou Williams to consider. Los Angeles has Lonzo Ball. Memphis has Mike Cunley. The Miami Heat have Dragic. The Minnesota Timberwolves have Jeff Teague and also Tyus Jones. The Bucks have Bledsoe and Brogdon. The Pelicans have Rondo. There's also Drew Holiday. Maybe you could envision something with Isaiah Thomas and, and Drew Holiday. Like, would you test that out if he's willing to play for the taxpayers mid-level? The Knicks have Jared Jack, Moutier, Frank Nielakina, and Trey Burke. Uh, Oklahoma City, Russell Westbrook. Orlando has DJ Augustine and Shelvin Mack. The Sixers have Ben Simmons. Let's not forget about Markel Fultz. There's also TJ McConnell. The Suns have Alfred Payton as of now. He will be restricted free agent this summer. Blazers, Dame, Spurs, Javante Murray. There's also Patty Mills. Tony Parker should probably be back next year. Kings have De'Aaron Fox. Raptors have Kyle Lowry, Dylan Wright, Fred Van Fleet, also an RFA. Jazz have Ricky Rubio, Dante Exum, who's also an RFA. The Wizards have John Wall. There's just no, even if you find a situation to me, like Orlando, or maybe, I mean, he's not going back to Phoenix, so I, I'll leave it out. But just use Orlando as an example. Yeah, they need a point guard, but why are they signing 29-year-old Isaiah Thomas? they're well the only way they would is if they get it like kind of a bargain i would, would think. they even want that though because you're taking reps away from younger guys who might need them and you're probably well, they don't have they don't have anybody unless they draft like trey young or something well they also have but would you you have jonathan simmons and fournier and gordon do you necessarily well, want yeah, he's certainly taking possessions from other guys that's a good point and then even a team like the Knicks, yeah, maybe they could talk themselves into being better than they are, but they have Neil Aquina and Moutier and Trey Burke. I just don't know where he would fit as the starter. A the- theoretically, it could technically be the Lakers. If they strike out in free agency, KCP leaves. The Lonzo Ball Isaiah Thomas backcourt has not been ineffective this year. And if you don't want to start Josh Hart, then you can go with the dual guard backcourt. Yeah, that's an... In- I- I, I think a lot of Lakers fans are starting to kind of talk themselves into that too, as you know, this isn't necessarily a terrible plan B. I, I as you're going through those teams, a few of them jumped out to me as like the jazz talent, talent wise. <laughs> it made sense. No, not that one. Please don't do that to me. Um, but you brought up a good point that whatever team he goes to, they got to do a lot to help him fit. Um, so, yeah, I think he would be probably a, a pretty easy upgrade over Chris Dunn in terms of just talent in Chicago. Or if Reggie Jackson is broken, maybe Detroit. Um, Orlando, you mentioned. Phoenix, I wrote down just because I thought that was funny. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Burned some bridges there, and I thought Sacramento was kind of funny too. But uh, you you have to make some huge wholesale changes. I think his career is really interesting. It's like every stop he's been to, there was some sort of tension between him and the front office or him and the coaching staff or him and teammates. Uh, the only place where it seemed to just work up until the very end was Boston. And the reason it worked is because the Brad Stevens just let him, like he built this system revolved around letting Isaiah Thomas do whatever he wanted. And they surrounded him with a bunch of gritty role players who didn't care. They, they were going to let this guy <laughs> do whatever he wanted. So if you and, and I think that's probably a really hard situation to find. Um, so unless he can hit the jackpot and magically find another situation like that, it's like you said, he might have to be a sixth man. I don't see a path to 
for the Celtics specifically, I don't see a path for him to get back there either. Someone would have to come yeah, over I the don't top, think top either. on Marcus Smart in restricted free agency, which I just don't see happening. And then the Celtics might just match it anyway to give themselves kind of trade bait. It w- would be interesting if they technically wanted to. I'm just outlining this for just hypothetical purposes. If Marcus <laughs> Smart cost them $10 million a year, his cap hold is $13.6 million. I would not pay Marcus Smart $13.6 unless he's signing like a two-year deal. But if they give Marcus Smart $10 million, uh, the Celtics do have their own first-round pick this year, right? Uh, yeah, they so. do. So, and you factor in their first-round pick, they could technically – be under the hard cap if they wanted to have access to the full mid-level exception so they could give Thomas more than what the taxpayers mid-level would be and the taxpayers mid-level is at 5.3 the full mid-level would be 8.6 if he was willing to sign for something in between there it's not impossible and if the Celtics maybe thought hey Terry Rozier or Marcus Smart is going to become primary trade bait when we get or go after Giannis Antetokounmpo or Clay Thompson if the Warriors blow it up. We'll get to that in, in just a second. Another spoiler, or Anthony Davis is the popular one. Yeah, or maybe they just don't want to pay what it might take to keep Terry Rozier because you have to worry about paying smart. It, it's not impossible, but Isaiah Thomas would have to lower both his salary and playing time slash role expectations. Yeah, for sure. So I, I think the general answer on that one is it's – Probably not going to happen. I, I can't come up with a team to sign Isaiah Thomas either. It's the, the Lakers would be interesting if they strike out in free agency, or maybe even if they don't strike out and you just don't sign LeBron James because then you can still – you're not going to re-sign Isaiah Thomas when LeBron James is there. But if it was just Paul George, then maybe maybe you could that would be That would be and funny too. The Lonzo they... Ball-Isaiah Thomas pairing, plus 4.6 per 100 possessions – through 12 games and more than 215 minutes of action. The defensive rating is 106.8 with those two on the floor. Not Shout great. out to Lonzo Ball for that. Right, and it's not great, but 106.8, that's almost 15th in the league overall. It's about the defensive like... rating of the Los Angeles Clippers around the Clippers-Bucks area. And let's not forget that Josh Hart has been injured. Brandon Ingram uh, had the hip injury. So you've missed some guys who can really help you defensively when you have that backcourt or even just Isaiah Thomas in general in the game. The Lakers might be then uniquely built to float that type of backcourt where, where other teams aren't. And I've heard the Pacers mentioned just on I NBA Twitter them too. as if they're going to – if Corey Joseph opts out, maybe you You don't talk. want to take the ball out of Oladipo's hands though, I don't think. No, and Isaiah Thomas struggled to play off the ball in Cleveland more. I could I could buy into testing it out maybe just because Darren Collison might be a guy you can move off the bench and you still have his contract as a trade chip and Oladipo theoretically is good enough defensively to help cover up for Isaiah Thomas but you're right the the ball dominant balance there would be just a little bit tough at least with Lonzo Ball you're working with a guy who's been good defensively and he just lives to defer one more thing uh, when Ball Thomas and Randall share the floor. The Lakers are plus 13.3 points per 100 possessions. What's their D rating in that? 100.9. That's Julius Randle's been it's, fantastic on the defense. He, he's been year. amazing. Um, only 133 minutes, but that's that's still pretty good. And when you watch the Lakers play, uh, and I've, I've watched them more recently than I did earlier in the season, they're, they've become really fun <laughs> all of a sudden. Um, so, yeah, if, if they do wind up having to sort of run it back with this core, I don't think that's the worst possible outcome. 
Do you know which lineup has not been fielded by the Lakers, apparently? CornetNBA.com. Lonzo Ball, yeah. Isaiah Thomas, Julius Randle, and Ingram at the same time, which is disappointing. I think it, that would have been fun. Yeah. I think I think part of that might be just the fact that Ingram's been out recently. I think he's been experimenting with the ball, Thomas backcourt a little bit more lately. But I, I could be wrong about that. No, I believe you're right. But that would be something that's fun. Um, He'll almost certainly have to when Ingram comes back, I would think. Oh, for sure. You put if Brandon Ingram's ever someone they want to play at the four, he does seem like he has the the length to do it. Length and height definitely does not have the girth right now. Having Randall at the five, Ingram at the four, you could throw KCP at the three with Thomas and, and Ball. That would be a very interesting lineup. They, yeah, they certainly have some fun possibilities. I, I think Ingram unlocks a ton for them. The fact that they can essentially play him like one through four is is really cool. Yeah, that's super incredible. Um, to move on, as I use the just the protracted, um, Stephen Curry <laughs> is targeting. You, you don't have to apologize for ums with me. That's like my go-to filler. Man, well, I so I re- re- listen to every podcast we do, and the amount of likes I drop too on certain on many episodes <laughs> makes me want to vomit. I uh, this is interesting. So I just dropped another uh, as I was saying the sentence, but. In one of my oral arguments in law school, the professor actually told me that he read an article that fillers are a good thing. They sort of signal to the listener that it's time to pause and think about things. I don't know if that's true or not. Maybe that's just one man's opinion, but that's my justification. So deal with my ums, people. It proves that this podcast is organic and we're not reading off of anything. There you these, go. These, tra- these transitions, these segues, they're all off the cuff. We do some prep, but it's not, you know, too scripted. You know, there's another filler. Perfect. <laughs> this, a couple things I found interesting. So Stephen Curry is, according to Chris Haynes of ESPN, could be targeting a return on Friday against the Atlanta Hawks. Anytime Stephen Curry's in the Which game, is- it's just a good thing for the Warriors. Unfortunately, before the Jazz game. I'm sorry. Condolences. (laughs) The other thing that I found interesting, so Mark Medina of of the Bay Area News Group published this interesting piece about the Warriors trying to become the next Spurs. Essentially, their dominance is sustainable, that it transcends even this era of dominance. He dropped an interesting comment, though, when asked, what if the Warriors do not win the title this season? And this is from Joe Lacob. I, I, forgive me for mispronouncing his name before. Maybe we will emphasize continuity, or maybe we will make a big move. We're looking at different options, given different things playing out in different ways. I think you should always be doing that. Before we get into this, I will say that in the same piece from Mark Medina, that Lacob also said, we'll build around that core until we decide maybe we shouldn't. But right now it feels pretty good. These guys are all performing at a great level. We love them as part of our organization. I don't really see doing anything major, but you never really know. We have to evaluate when the season is over. It's very hard when you're in the middle of it all to see it objectively. I would normally just write this off as whatever, but the Houston Rockets are so damn good that it's at least worth talking about what if the Warriors don't win the title? What Should they do anything, Andy? What would you see them doing? They're certainly not going to get rid of Steph or Kevin Durant. That's off the table. So. Nice filler. <laughs> <laughs> I think the easiest answer is just no. You, you don't break this up. 
you keep those four guys together and you keep putting as many sort of veteran pieces around them as you can as sort of they've done the last couple of years. The my mind usually you know, when I think about if the Warriors core ever breaks up, my mind the first guy it goes to is Clay Thompson. Um he just he seems to me out of those four the most easily replaceable, which hopefully doesn't sound like too much of a slight, but when you're being compared to those other three, um, you know, it's tough to jump those guys. But I was I was looking at Clay Thompson's numbers before we started recording. And even if you do say, you know, we want to switch things up and and maybe we can maybe we can upgrade somewhere, I don't know how easy it is to go out and find an upgrade over Clay Thompson. Um he's basically been around 40th or 50th in the league in real plus minus for each of the last five years. That's probably about his average rank is, is somewhere around 50. It's not that easy to just go out and, and add another top 50 player. If you already have three top 20 to 25 players, I, I think the easiest thing for them to do at least right now, and they're, I think they're young enough to do this is to just keep going with these four guys for at least a couple more years. They at least have to go through it until Clay Thompson's. Well, maybe not until Clay Thompson's free agency in twenty nineteen, because you would ideally like to make a decision before then. I believe there have been people that wrote about this. What couldn't it also factor in that Draymond Green should be eligible for the for the designated player extension? I think unless it didn't apply to second round picks, I really should have looked that up. Clay Thompson probably won't be because he's not going to make an All NBA team this year and if it's cheaper to keep him that then it would be Draymond Green I I would probably move Clay to, I would probably excuse me I would probably if they were going to do anything if and I don't think they should I almost feel like it could be easier to replace Draymond Green just because he crimps your spacing a little bit yes he's a fantastic passer but he's he's just he that one year in 2015-2016 his three-point shooting appears to be almost an anomaly. He's shooting 30.7% from three this year when he doesn't play with Curry or Durant, 35.1% when he does play with Curry or Durant. Klay Thompson still hits almost 44% of his threes when he's playing without Stephen Curry and Durant. And if you believe that Durant can be a, a pretty good rim protector, even though I think his defensive impact on the Warriors has been overstated this year, you also have Jordan Bell, it could be a little easier to replace Draymond Green then when you're looking at, well, we don't want to compromise our super small ball lineups. Again, this is the caveat. I wouldn't make a change even if they lose. And I'm not even sure what the change would be. Who are you trading Draymond Green for that upgrades your roster? Who's the target? Yeah, that's what what I kept coming back to with Thompson too. I don't think it's like... It just doesn't seem that easy to go out and find somebody who fits and makes the team better right off the bat. It'd be really interesting to do like Draymond Green for Chris Middleton and Malcolm Brogdon. That'd be an interesting trade. Yeah, it would. But I'm I don't I think I still see Draymond differently. I he's just such a Swiss army knife that does so many I little don't mean things to diminish his impact. And I, I don't yeah, I don't think you did. It's kinda like me saying Clay Thompson's the most replaceable. It sounds it sounds demeaning, but I'm not. I'm not intending it to be. Um, Draymond just does. <laughs> he he's not as impactful as he's been in the last t- 
two or three years, I don't think, this season. But a guy that does literally everything for you except for hit threes at, a, at an average rate, which is super important in today's NBA. Um, I, I think theoretically maybe you could expect to get a lot of what he does out of Kevin Durant. Maybe he can fill a lot of those – um, a lot of that role, but he's also sort of been like the emotional, um, I don't want to use heart and soul cause it's such a cliche, but that's the only thing coming to my mind for the last couple seasons. Maybe another thing too, I thought about, and it just came back to me is, I don't remember where I heard this. It was somebody else's podcast, but I wonder if there would ever come a time when, when sort of his emotional, <laughs> styles starts to wear on the warriors in, the, in a bad way because i think that might even be a better reason to trade him than any sort of basketball fit the yeah and it's so it's so tough to delineate between the two because they're they're the same age right now clay thompson is basically a month older than draymond green they're both 28 i did look it up while you were talking though draymond green could, will and he probably will be eligible for the designated player ex- extension if Clay Thompson isn't, and we're going to assume he won't be because of the way the All NBA voting will shake out between now. Yeah, that uh, that makes a difference because that's a that's that would be quite a difference in pay. Right, and it's one thing it, you can easily just say, "Well, they're not going to give it to him." How would he feel if he's eligible for it and they're not going to give it to him? That could yeah, create. That so could you're talking tough. about his him being an emotional bellwether. What if that? Like, what if he reacts to that poorly? That would be something you monitor. But again, I don't know what the big move would be shaking up this offseason. Should they not win? One of the problems also being, you know, Andre Godala, he, He's making sixteen million dollars next year. That's an overpay. Sean Livingston at eight point three is is probably an overpay. He's at least non guaranteed in the final year of his deal. I don't think. And Andre Godal is fully guaranteed at $17.2 million in the final year of his deal. It's just, I, I just don't know what you would do. Because if you're going to trade Draymond Green, my, my thought would be that you want to get kind of another wing just to make your team more, even more interchangeable, theoretically. Just looking at shooting in addition to playmaking and defense. And I don't know what that player would be out there. The Cavaliers would definitely talk if LeBron James opts into the final year of his deal, but... I don't necessarily – we've talked about this before. LeBron James fitting in with the Warriors seems like it could be difficult just because he's not used to playing off the ball as much as all their other guys are or even were entering the situation. He would make it work because he's LeBron James. But getting him entering his age 34 season, would he be better for the Warriors than Klay Thompson or Draymond Green? Honestly, just as a fit, I, I don't know. I'm not even trying to – Diminished LeBron James, who was fantastic. The the piece from ESPN.com's Brian Winhurst that told us he spends over a million dollars per year on maintaining his body, which is both absurd and totally believable when you consider yeah. what LeBron James is doing. And when I look at it from that stance, if I'm going to say these things about the Warriors swapping out one of their third or fourth best players for LeBron James, and I'm not really all about it, what else are you supposed to do? My last question on this topic. Um, would you do that deal if you were Milwaukee that you laid out? I think I would rather have Middleton and Brogdon just in terms of like team construction. Uh, the, the, so what I will point There's so much overlap between Giannis and Draymond to me. 
Yeah, there is, and because neither one of them are good shooters. What would be just a little bit interesting from a financial perspective is that Bledsoe, Brogdon, and Middleton, will, assuming he declines his player option next summer, they'll all be up for new contracts at the same time. Yeah, that's interesting for sure. And if you can kind of consolidate that decision where Draymond Green won't be a free agent until 2020, then you only have to worry about playing Bledsoe. But I would definitely worry about the spacing of an, a Giannis-Bledsoe-Green pairing. At the same time, defensively, that might be Flames. I'd consider well, it. Last, last, last thing for me. I, I lied. That was not my last thing. I have wondered for a couple of years now what it would look like for Clay Thompson to be on a team where he got 20 shots a game. I would love to see that. I, w- I would really like to see that too. Does that situation one my, exist? One of my pet destinations for him, I, I think maybe as recently as last year on 2K, was uh, the Sixers, who they, they have J.J. Redick in that role. Do you but get he, him 20 shots a game with Embiid and Simmons and then a healthy Fultz? I, I don't know. That team is a little bit different than I envisioned before the season started. So I'm not, sh- yeah, I'm not sure he could get 20 shots a game there. He would probably, I want to say he'd probably be their leading scorer, but it, it would probably still be Embiid actually. Now that I've sort of seen how the last two seasons have played out, I don't know. But that would still be an interesting spot. Like what if they strike out on LeBron James and suddenly Clay Thompson's their shooting guard in two years, that would be super interesting to me. I don't know why he would do this, but if Paul George picked up his player option for next year and said he wanted to go with the Warriors, you put Clay Thompson in his role with the Thunder alongside Russell Westbrook. And George has been spectacular, That's, but it's just Clay Thompson isn't – he doesn't need as many touches as Paul George. He'll just be content to cut yeah, and run around screens all catch day. Catch and shoot, yeah. The, play, the, the Clay Thompson-Paul George rumors were so interesting to me when they first emerged. I, I felt like it kind of made sense for both sides, but I don't know. Him in Indiana at the time, that would have been that would have been something to watch. Yeah. Him and Oladipo's role, not Oladipo's role specifically, but you have him as your top guy. I would love I would love to see Draymond as the top guy too. I don't want to bust up this Warriors team because I still find them fun to watch, but I would love to see some of these guys in completely alpha roles. And that almost goes for Steph a little bit again. I, I miss, yeah, I miss that Steph for sure. And you probably can't replicate that season, but at the same time, I well, what's crazy is this season when when Durant's not on the floor, he's averaging like forty points per thirty six minutes. He's just nuts. He should be higher yeah. up on the MVP totem pole. I think I agree. The last thing I will get to: Mark Stein of the New York Times tweeted that Detroit has expressed interest in hiring former Pistons star Chauncey Billups to work in tandem with Arn Tellum in a totally revamped front office. That he heard from. League sources. I believe the Pistons have since come out and denied that. But I would think there, and Chauncey Billups has even said that he like kind of removed his name from the conversation saying he would never angle for a job that wasn't open. I'm going to assume, even if they don't get rid of Stan Van Gundy as head coach, that they're going to look to sh- kind of strip him of his presidential duties. That Blake Griffin trade was... <laughs> And I, so I think it was like the ultimate swing for the fences. And when it first happened, I, I, I think I even on here supported it uh, to some extent. It still kind of makes sense to me, but they had to have known going in, either this works and we look really good, or 
it, he continues to be unhealthy. Him and Drummond don't fit together, and we could get fired. Um, I mean, certainly that had to be part of the calculus, but it's it's clearly not working right now. And uh, this summer is good. This is another team that's going to have a really interesting summer. They were on the verge of playoff contention like two or three games after that trade was made, and now they have no shot. Um, those 538 numbers now have them at 1%. The East is pretty much, those eight teams are pretty much set. Something miraculous the would Bucks have to happen. The Bucs are eighth right to, now in the East, which is crazy. They have a six-game lead on the Pistons, too. That's a, yeah, speaking of a disappointing team, but. That's why they should trade yeah, for Draymond. Like, just got to shake it up. Yeah. It was definitely a, a swing for the fences going for Blake Griffin. And right now it looks, it looks like they missed the ball on that one. The it's funny though. This might be there are two elements to this for me. Is you don't let Stan Van Gundy make that move if you're not willing to give him next season to try and make it work. At yeah. the same time, he doesn't need to be the president of basketball operations to make it work. You keep him on as the coach to try and mm-hmm. forge the proper dynamic. Blake Griffin though, talking to Mark J Spears of ESPN's The Undefeated, he said. He told him, if I wasn't happy with where I was at or excited to be here, it would take a little bit longer. But as soon as I got here to Detroit, the franchise, the way they go about taking care of the players, the way they do everything is first class. So that makes the transition much easier. Coach Stan Van Gunny and the whole staff has been awesome. I'm not looking back. I haven't put much thought into it, to be honest. I've been so focused on making the transition and adjusting to this change that I haven't put much thought into it. I never want to be in a place where I'm not wanted. Coming here... And here being Detroit made me realize what a franchise looks like. Shout out to the Clippers. Yeah, shout out to the Pistons apparently too. Um, Uh, One other thing on this is just like from a raw wins and losses standpoint, uh, Detroit's 144 and 172 since Van Gundy took over and they've made the playoffs once. Well, this is what I tweeted in response that when his quote was going around that coming here made me realize what a franchise looks, looks like. The Pistons are so committed to getting their players ample rest that they've refused to play beyond April since 2009. That's devotion. <laughs> that one took me a second, but well played. Oh, the other this the real, real last thing. Mark Stein and his New York Times newsletter, which people should subscribe to if they haven't already. The Bucks really want to make a splash, according to his sources, on the head coaching market this summer to both uh, impress Giannis Antetokounmpo, but also just make the most out of the roster that they have. And he writes, current TV analysts Jeff Van Gundy and Kevin McHale, league sources say, are among the marquee names that can already be found on the Bucks' list of candidates. The former New Orleans coach Monty Williams and Fisdale have also been mentioned as likely candidates. Mm. And word is that even former Louisville coach Rick Pitino could get an exploratory. Oh, offer. my gosh. I'm just going to say that the Bucks <laughs> should probably not hire oh Rick Pitino. Oh, my gosh. I'm just going to say that he's probably not going to be the next head coach of the Milwaukee Bucks. Wow. Yeah, that would be bad. I'm not sure going for, like, the splashy TV name is, is usually the right play either. I would love to see Jeff Van Gundy coaching again, though. And the Bucks' biggest issue is their defense. Their offense, at times you watch it, and it doesn't seem like it has any direction anyway. And I'm not trying to criticize Van Gundy's offensive constructs. constructs. It seems like he understands the modern NBA and what you need to do to be successful on the offensive end when you listen to him call games. But they don't need some brilliant offensive genius to come in and rework their situation. They need to fix the defense, which even when they're not – 
even when they're doing a better job of contesting three-pointers, they still let up a zillion looks at the rim every game. So I would be interested in seeing Van Gundy there, but I think both for you and me, we've wanted to see David Fisdale there. Fisdale would be interesting. One guy that I really want to see get a head coaching shot somewhere is Igor Kokoshkov. He's an assistant with the Jazz, and he led Slovenia to a Eurobasket title. I think he's, I think he could be pretty good. That would be fine. Just another name. Yeah. Any, can we just get Messina on someone? I was going to say Ettery Messina would be interesting too. Becky Hammond would be hella fun as well. Yeah. She's very respected within the San Antonio organization. I'm pretty, just go among the Spurs' assistants and just take one of them. <laughs> I, I, yeah, for, I, I can't disagree with that. That's for sure. I think that wraps us up. I, I don't have any more notes. Um, did you have anything else you wanted to talk about before nope. we We were sign everywhere off? today. Everywhere. We really were. Bouncing all over the league. Uh, if we missed something super pressing that you want to yell at us about, you know where to find us. Dan is on Twitter at Dan Favale, F-A-V-A-L-E. I am there as well, at Andrew D. Bailey. The show is at Hardwood Knox. The sponsor is at NBA underscore math. As always, we really appreciate reviews and ratings. Keep those things rolling in. We're also close to that century mark that Dan is just pining for, and, and I am too. Um, again, like Dan said earlier, another thing, you can go to the NBA math shop and enter the promo code BENO, B-E-N-O, and you can get 15% off anything in that NBA math shop, and they have some awesome, awesome T-shirt designs and other things that you can look at there. Um, and sort of my general suggestion to you every time is if you – Know people who like the NBA or even don't like the NBA and aren't subscribed to the show, make sure you push them to subscribe because it will enrich their lives, as I am wont to say. So until next time, we leave you with the shout-out to Bino Udri and to Kyle Anderson. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.